Today we're in the beginning of 1 John 5, reading the first five verses. Strangely, this is my first sermon in five weeks, so I hope I can remember how to give one, lol. But 1 John 5, 1 through 5, hear the word of the Lord. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the parent loves the child. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For the love of God is this, that we obey his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God conquers the world. And this is the victory that conquers the world, our faith. Who is it that conquers the world, but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Let us pray. Father, may these spoken words of mine be faithful to the written word and lead us to the living word, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Holy Spirit, meet with us, we pray, and give us nourishing ideas and words to live by. We are aware of your loving and abiding presence with us. Amen. So maybe I've been out of the pulpit for a while, but as I was reading this passage, there are some things that I wasn't so sure about. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Everyone who loves the parent loves the child. We know that's not true. When we love God, then for certain we will love other Christians. If we love God, we will always obey him. Are God's commandments not burdensome to you? Are we really feeling like conquerors right now? People of faith, are you conquering right now? Or as we might say, church, are you crushing it? As John nears the end of this epistle, he is using expansive language. Hammering home the points he wants the community to live into. And the basis of the verses here hinge on faith in Jesus, believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. If you have faith in Jesus, John's point is that your life will look like these things he's describing. From one action of belief, the others follow. Our daily lives will look uniquely like these characteristics that I said I'm not so sure about. So there are four statements here that I want us to examine that John lays out here. One, if you have faith in Christ, you are born of God. Two, if you have faith in Christ, you love those who belong to God. Three, if you have faith in Christ, you obey God's commandments. And yes, four, if you have faith in Christ, you conquer the world. So these are four realities that John says that Christians can be growing into. And today we're going to examine these claims against our lives asking the Holy Spirit to speak to us. So first, John says that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. If you believe Jesus is the Messiah, that you have been given new life. But belief here is not simple lip service. It's giving oneself and surrender continually to Christ, to follow Jesus. It's putting everything we are in hope into God's hands, not holding anything back. If you've done this, John says, you are born of God. So let's think about that for a minute. Born not of a woman, John says in his gospel in the first chapter, 
born not of a parent's will, but born of the living God. This means that we are dead to our former selves, dead to the sin that so deceitfully corrupts us and pulls us in. Sin that destroys and tears down, causes fear. Sin that winds itself around us until we cry for mercy. John says we are dead to all of that. Not immune from temptation, not immune to fail, but dead to a sin nature alive in Christ. This passage makes me think a little bit about Nicodemus, who was trying hard to figure out who Jesus was and what was going on there. I love it that Nicodemus goes straight to the source. Who are you, Jesus? He says. This is so important. We all have questions. We, we see something that's going on. We see what God is doing and we want to understand. You wonder where God is? Go and ask. If you can't hear, keep asking. Keep putting yourself in the place of worship and beauty and study and community. Places where you know God is. And somehow in all of that, in our thoughts and our wrestlings, just be still. How hard is it for us to be still today? To just be still in the presence of God. Ask what's on your heart and mind and then listen. And keep coming and keep listening. Jesus says, no one sees the kingdom of God unless they are born from above. So no matter how it is that we have come to know Christ, this statement makes me think about what life we have been given because we do know Christ. Life in God's kingdom is not the same as life on earth. We are people who inhabit two realms. And our first commitment, our first love is to the Lord. So think about your life and think about if you have been born from above, what has happened in your life that you believe has only happened as a result of knowing God? Scripture says our lives are not our own. We have been bought with the blood of Jesus. That means that we see evidence of God in our decisions, in our opportunities, our relationships, our work, our daily rhythms. As Russ Hull said last week, in the coincidences, in the curious happenings that go on, and then because of our faith, many along the way have been influenced and changed by Jesus because of us. Everything is connected by God's grace and God's truth. I'm a follower of Jesus today because of a single mom who was an elementary school teacher who invited me to church with her family. I'm a disciple because of a church of believers who faithfully used their gifts to raise up a kid who wanted to come to church every Sunday to find God's love. Why are you here today? Who is Jesus to you? How did you come to know him? Why is he important? Someone invested time and love and energy into you. Who is it that you are now impacting? The kingdom grows. We rejoice that we are born from above. Next, John says, if you have faith in God, that you love those who belong to God. At the end of chapter 4, John begins a thought which we see continue here. It's impossible to say that we love God and hate our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
John uses strong language. He says, if you have that disconnect, then you are liars. Ouch. In John's theology and ethics, it's not possible to love one and not the other. God and his children are inseparable. So there's no rationale or justification. There's nothing that anyone can do that makes it acceptable to hate anyone in the family while saying that we love God. John says the commandment we have from Jesus is that those who love God must also love their brothers and sisters. Now, right now you might be thinking, Pastor, I don't hate anyone because I know better than that. Okay, how about resent? How about judge? Hold grudges against, talk bad about, go out of your way to avoid, dismiss. John's point is do we love others in the same way that we love God? Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of these, you have done to me. So let's not go with the letter of the law. I don't hate anyone. But the spirit of the law. Do you know who feels the impact of those that we love the least? God. That's what this is saying. The interconnectedness that the Lord has with those who belong to him means that when we don't love Christians as we ought, we are not loving God as we ought. John talks about love a lot, doesn't he? And it makes us wonder. Maybe John talks about it so much because he knows how difficult it is. Keeping good relationship with others takes work. Being vulnerable and honest is hard. Reconciliation is painful. Forgiveness. Lord, bless our first responders. Forgiveness, surely a part of love, is something we struggle to do. Going out of our way for others, giving up what we want, feels onerous. But having compassion, a good attitude, a humble heart, is a daily decision that we are called to make. So I want to stop for a moment. We want to ask the Holy Spirit to speak. And we ask, Lord, how have I hurt you by not loving well? I ask you to show me who it is that I need to love more like I love you, like you want me to love. Everyone who loves the parent loves the child. Jesus, we thank you for your grace as we seek your forgiveness for not loving others the way that shows our love for you. Now, the other part of this is acknowledging that sometimes we have not been loved well. Yesterday on Facebook, I saw a post about the friendship between Henry Nowen and Fred Rogers, which was deep and enduring. They corresponded with one another throughout the years, offering prayer and support. In one letter, Mr. Rogers sent an article to Henry Nowen that had been written about him that was deeply wounding as it questioned the motivation of his ministry with children. Listen to part of what Nowen sends back to Mr. Rogers. 
I read the article you sent me and can very well understand how much that must have hurt you. It must be really painful to be confronted with a total misunderstanding of your mission and your spiritual intentions. It is these little persecutions within the church that hurt the most. I simply hope that you are not too surprised by them. They come and will keep coming precisely when you do something significant for the kingdom. It, had, it has always struck me that the real pain comes often from the people from whom we expected real support. It was Jesus' experience and the experience of all the great visionaries in the church, and it continues to be the experience of many who are committed to Jesus. So I want us to stop again and reflect for a moment. If there's something that you have been hurt by in the family of God, which you are holding on to, take a moment and talk to God about it right now. Jesus, you know how mean we can be to one another. While we seek your grace, we also ask you to help us to forgive those who have hurt us. Amen. Next, John says that you have faith in Christ, that you obey his commandments. Obedience is the most concrete evidence of love for John. In a lot of ways, it's easier to serve or give money than to live by God's moral demands. So we ask ourselves, do we find God's commands burdensome? Let's think about that. Because God is holy, he's perfect, he's pure, he's righteous, without any suggestion of sin, full of goodness and love. So that means that we are going to shave as humans against the standards that we're meant to keep because that is not who we are. So what do you do with the rules you don't like? What do you do with the rules you think aren't fair? Again, just like how we treat others is tied to our love for Jesus, we're not meant to separate God's holiness from our actions. This is a heart issue. It's one thing to say, I sincerely sought the scriptures and I've sought God's will and this is really what I think that this scripture says. It's another to say, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to ignore the part of the Bible that I don't agree with. We've talked about obedience a fair amount from this book, so let's keep it simple today. Christ gave everything for us. So then the focus then is on God and not on the commandments. When we focus on the rules, we can find ourselves in a place of discouragement, anger, laziness, rebellion. So that means that we have to remember always that who we are in Christ is more important than what we do for him. That our actions come from our relationship with him, our hiddenness with him. They stem for our devotion from him first. When we get this backwards, things don't work out so well for us. But when we get it right, the commandments don't seem as burdensome because focusing on Christ cuts through everything and helps us get to the heart of the matter as he speaks to us about these things that we disagree with. Because our obedience for the commands in our life that are hard for us to work out, live out, then those things can become an act of worship as we process it and as we say, Lord, I don't understand this. I don't like this. 
but I'm gonna obey this. And that's a process that we have to get to. Our lives reflect who and what we worship. So my prayer for us is that we would continue to worship God first instead of anything else around us that we want more. Finally, John writes that if we have faith in Christ, that we will conquer the world. The word conquer here is the same word that means overcome. It can mean victorious or to prevail in the face of obstacles. Jesus uses the same word when he says, in this life you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. This last week I was in Texas for a gathering of other pastors. And a pastor who leads a very large church there said how this time in our lives with everything going on, the pandemic and the politics and all the kind of stuff that's happening, has shown us that American Christianity is somewhat weak. I was surprised to hear that in Texas. I'm not going to lie to you about that. <laughs> but in conversations later with pastors, every pastor said almost exactly the same thing. How discouraged they were that we have hit roadblocks and started fighting about vaccines and rights and masks. That we have encountered difficulty and some of our priorities have completely changed and not always in a very good way. That we started complaining and put our focus on the here and now instead of on the kingdom. A lot of people have dropped out of church altogether or they've left ones that they have worshipped in for a long time that find one that agree with their views. Friends and family have been splintered. People are discouraged and hopeless. And we ask ourselves, is, are our reactions to what's going on in the world, how do our reactions as Christians look different than the reactions of those in the world? We ask ourselves, have the hardships that we have been enduring have they made us more like Christ? More compassionate? More loving? More trusting? More persevering? More patient? When something presses on something from the outside, then what's inside comes out. And we have to think about who we are as a church because God needs us to represent him well to the world so that others can know him. Are we honoring God in the season of the world as people. I want to dig into this just a little bit before we go. Because I really need us to think about the many who don't know Christ. Is how we are living out our faith in this season of the world showing that we know that Jesus has conquered. Has conquered death and sin and grief on the cross. Do unbelievers look at our lives and say, whoa, whoa. Look at how they're trusting God. I don't understand that. I don't know that. What an incredible opportunity we have to express the power and the glory and the love and the transformative nature of the gospel. Let's not get so entrenched in fear or annoyances or posturing or shaming going on all around us that we forget who we are, that we are children of the king, the king of glory who reigns. In the beginning of the book of Revelation, which John also wrote, Jesus is talking to the churches, affirming them and correcting them as needed for how they were following him and what they were experiencing, what they were going through. And he tells them, I know your deeds. Some of them, he says, you need to wake up. 
Some of them, he says, I know you're tired. You've been persevering. Keep the word. He tells another to hold on because he's coming soon. He chastises one for forsaking him and another for being tepid in their faith. But listen to what he says to all the churches. In conclusion, the Lord says this. To the one who is victorious, who overcomes, who conquers, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the spirit of the Lord says to the churches. What is the spirit saying to us as the church? We have to be careful when we complain about the church because we are the church. I don't know about you, but I want to be one who overcomes the world and is not taken down by the world. Because one day we're going to meet the Lord face to face and see what it was that we did with what it was that he gave us. So let us hear, let us hear what the Spirit says to the church and rejoice that our faith has made us conquerors. We have a God who welcomes our doubts and our questions. This is how we grow. A sermon is not meant to tie everything up for us with a pretty bow, but to help us think through the issues of faith that don't make sense, the ones we struggle in, and to assure us of God's desire to be known by us. We're going to conclude right now by affirming our faith, by saying the Nicene Creed together. The statement reminds us of the unified belief that all Christians have in Jesus and our collective commitment to live for him. And I'm going to ask that you stand. Together, we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, he suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom... We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, 
you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.